Hello and welcome to the Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. This is your regular update for all your tillage news and advice. Tillage farmers utilise their sprayers most months of the year and the average farmer can put close to €15,000 worth of plant protection products through the sprayer each year. Given all of these plant protection products are applied to do a specific job, there's a huge incentive for a farmer to make sure the spray hits the target and works effectively. Minimising spray drift on the farm is important not only for this reason, but also to protect water bodies, the user, the general public and the broader environment. Sprayer technology has come a long way in the past number of years and farmers are now using precision technology to improve the spraying operation on farm. I'm delighted today to be joined by John Kelleher, a farmer in Cork, his Chagas advisor, Michael McCarthy, and Kieran Collins, a tillage specialist based in Cork. I first want to come to you, Kieran, and ask you, how would you rate how well farmers are applying sprays at the moment? Oh, Michael, I'd say very well, really. And like you said, it, you know, there is a lot of money that goes through the sprayer with plant protection products and that. Um, and I would say that there are a number of factors really in, in why we're, we've seen a great improvement in recent years. And I think uh, one of them is certainly TAMS has made a huge difference. So we've certainly seen a big upgrade in sprayers that are available now. And it's, it's, it's amazing when you're walking crops and sometimes you start to see these tiny little triangles and fields, you know, where people are using the likes of auto shut off and that. So I think the accuracy has increased, um, you know, dramatically really in the last number of years. And I think TAMS is a big role to play, but there's also, I suppose, through SUD, we've certainly seen the, you know, the training of all the um, the professional users, all, all, all farmers. And I think that's that's been a big help as well. And then we have the sprayer testing, you know, since 2016, now all sprayers are, are, are over three meters are, are tested, you know. And I think that's, it's a little bit like the NCT for the car, you know, if, if the pressure gauge isn't reading right or there's cracked pipe or output from some of the nozzles isn't good, you're going to pick those things up and I think all those things have contributed really to um, improving the whole spraying operation Michael. Okay so it's a multifaceted kind of thing Kieran and I suppose farmers have I suppose firstly better equipment. Um, John John Keller from, from Cork you're very welcome and um, just want to come to you now just for a second Um maybe just you might t- tell everybody just a little bit maybe around about your farming operation and what sort of sprayer that you have on your farm. Well, uh, I'm tillage farming down near Mallow there in North Cork. And um, in relation to spraying, there is, uh, I purchased an Amazon 6,200-litre sprayer with the help of the TAMS grant in, two, in the end of 2018. And um, I must admit, this new sprayer has been a big help. I went for a, a bigger tank uh, than what I had. I had 4,500 litres in, in a previous Havdi sprayer, and I went for 6,200 in this Amazon. And I went for a wider boom as well. I went from 24 meters up to 36 meters. And both those items kind of helped, my, helped me get through the workload quicker, especially if you had a tighter windows uh, when you would, a batch of spray would be on like we have now at the moment. Um, so that's kind of basically what I'm doing down here in Cork. And John, can I ask you just as regards that sprayer, did you buy it with all the, if you like, bells and whistles? Is there a lot of technology on that sprayer? I, I went for uh, the two main items of specification I went for was the, the GPS on off of the sections and the auto boom height. Um, 
and I went for a steering axle. That was the third item of spec. I, I kind of kept left it at that. Then you could get other items of spec, like a electronic uh, control for filling and washing the sprayer. But I stuck with manual levers for that because my experience with technology is it's brilliant when it's working right, but as it gets old, it can lead you down. So I felt I was happy to go with items of spec that would uh, stay work that I could override if they gave trouble when they got older, but uh, that I could still keep going, you know. Uh, so they were the items of spec I went for, and, and I'm, I'm happy with those choices, in fairness. Uh, the art of boom heist and the GPS on-off is uh, a great help for accuracy. There's no way you could manually control the sprayer as well without it, in fairness. Okay, well, it, it certainly is a, it's a wide and it's a big sprayer. Just in terms of, uh, of total area that you, that you uh, spray, John, is it uh, just in your own farm or you, do you spray for hire as well? Uh, well, I, I, it, a good bit is my own farm and I do some contract spraying then and I do some contract farming and I do the share farming as well. So between all those, I would cover, say, four to four and a half thousand hectares per annum. Um, and that's kind of what I'd be doing. In, that's between all the runs, you know what I mean, uh, in, the, in, the, in the run of, the, of 12 months, you know. Okay, thanks, John. So, Kieran, can I just come back to you for a second? So, certainly listen to John there. John's going to come across all sorts of various different um, scenarios going out, uh, either in his own farm or contract spraying. Um, you might maybe explain a little bit to, to our, our listeners as regards um, buffer zones and the, the stripe tool. Mm, okay, so... I suppose the buffer zones are really important because, you know, we, we need to protect our water courses and, and buffer zones apply to all surface water bodies. So a surface water body is any feature that's capable of carrying or holding water at any stage during the year. So you're talking about drains, you know, rivers, streams, the likes. So, and then each uh, plant protection product, you know, on the label, it will have a buffer zone. So some of them are, are very small, they're, they're as, as low as a meter, but some of them then uh, can be as wide as 30 meters. So I suppose it is just very important to be aware of the buffer zone of each product, you know. Um, and you mentioned stripe, Michael. I suppose stripe then is a, a mechanism where you can reduce that buffer zone. So if I'm talking about that 30 meter buffer zone there, there are ways of reducing that. Um, it's 30 meters if you use a standard flat fan nozzle, but if you're using department approved drift reducing nozzles, you can reduce that buffer zone. But you can also reduce the buffer zone by reducing the rate of the product. Or a, a third way of doing it is a combination of both, you know, from your, your drift reducing nozzle, a reduced rate. So that, that 30 meters technically could go down to as low as a meter by using a half rate of the product and 90% drift reducing nozzles. So it is a good mechanism to help farmers, you know, in, in that scenario, Michael. Okay. Michael, um, can I come to you just for a second? Um, just listen to Kieran there talking about um, about stripe and, and the buffer zones. On the face of it, as he describes it, it sounds relatively simple. Uh, however, when you were out in, on, on, on the ground advising farmers um, where multiple tanks, if you like, are going, or multiple products are going into tanks, how does Stripe work in practice for you or how do you get that across to farmers? So <clears throat> I suppose just like you said, Michael, it is simpler in theory than it is in practice. And there's two main stumbling blocks that I see with Stripe. And that is, number one, it's the identification of what the actual label buffer zone is. Now, certain products, it's very easy to find on the label and certain products, it isn't. 
And, you know, just for an example, generally BASF labels, they identify the, the, the buffers on very, very e easily. And it's generally with the, with the rate of the product. So it's a kind of, you can't miss it. But in other labels then by the other chemical companies, you may have to do a lot of reading to find it or it's hidden within the small print, you know? So that's number one. Now, secondly, once you've, you've identified your buffer zone from the label, you must then find what the stripe buffer zone is in relation to what type of nozzle you're using. So you may have to go online and Google the whole Stripe or go onto the PCRD website and Google the Stripe and go through all the list of products to see what you can reduce that buffer zone by, um, which is all kind of limiting factors. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not that simple. Like it's not as simple as you, you pick up the can, you see the, 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 the manufacturer's buffer zone and then the Stripe buffer zone. If it were like that, it would be extremely simple. The other thing is the actual nozzle of choice then. So we know that Stripe gives you, you know, you can reduce your buffer zone if you're using a 75% drift reduction nozzle or a 90% drift reduction nozzle. But the problem on the ground is identifying what is a 75% drift reduction nozzle or what is a 90% one. Because a lot of the dealers and garages and parts suppliers, if you ask for say low drift nozzles, they will hand you low drift nozzles, but they won't be able to tell you what they are, you know? And like, you, you take two, one of the more, a very popular nozzle manufacturer would be the High Pro, the, the Pentair nozzle, right? So you have the, the Pentair Guardian Air nozzle and you have the Pentair ULD nozzle, right? Now, I know that the, the Pentair Guardian Air nozzle is a 75% reduction nozzle and the ULD nozzle is a 90%. But not everybody selling those nozzles will know that, you know? So you have to do a bit more research yourself. Um, like it's, 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 it is down to, you know, farmers doing more research themselves to make sure that they're, that they're in compliance and that they have the right product because not all the dealers will be able to tell you either, if you know what I mean, Michael. Yeah. So basically having a bit of training and a bit of knowledge around that is, is yeah. key, I suppose, uh, Michael. Um, and but but I think it's still worth doing, uh, just in terms of making sure that the pesticides are stay where they're where, where they're meant to stay. If you oh, like. that that that's the end game. And and secondly, like nobody wants drift, because like as we mentioned earlier, we we've like very big. Like you can imagine John sprayer there now, six thousand two hundred liters of uh, capacity. There's an awful lot of chemical inside in that. You know, it's a lot of money, and you don't want that. You you want that targeted on the crop nowhere else. You know. John, can I come back to you um, just in terms of just chatting about the, um, we talked a little bit about nozzles and, and, and trying to reduce that drift. On your sprayer at the moment, what sort of nozzles do you have on that? And uh, how do you choose which nozzles to use for different jobs? At the moment, I'm mainly using uh, the, num the O4 red nozzles and I'd be using, say, the 75% drift one. Uh, sometimes I would switch over, especially in the outer sections, to 90% ones. I've been fitted on the triple holder and I can just swivel them around. I'd mainly do that if I was spraying alongside uh, a large river, like I, I farm some ground on the banks of the Blackwater River now, which is quite a sensitive area. There's a lot of fisheries there, and there's a, there's a good bit of responsibility to make sure not to upset anybody. So, but overall, I use the 75% of fours mainly because I find the 90% makes a very big droplet, 
and especially if you have to slow down, especially on headlands, and the headland would invariably be by the bank of a river. If you slow down, the pressure will drop. And I thought, I, I thought that the droplets coming out of the 90% are quite large and it's more of a splashing effect than a spraying effect. So I would say maybe 80, 90% of the time I use the 75% and only for specific reasons would I switch over to the 90%. Maybe I should switch over to 90% more, but that's the kind of the reality on the ground in fairness. Okay. And John, I, I suppose a lot of people, um, a lot of farmers out there probably have still flat fans um, in, in, in their sprayers and probably use them maybe more often than you should do. Do you, you mentioned that you have kind of the, the, the triple holder on your um, sprayer. Do you have a flat fan or have you decided that? I have a flat fan. I have a blue, I have a blue flat fan as well. But actually, the truth, I say I almost never use it. I just got them because I was trying to decide in the beginning what nozzles do I want. So I said I'd kind of pick what I thought I'd use most. But I almost never use the flat fans now. I used to always use flat fans up until I changed the sprayer because before I had this sprayer, I'd have the with the have the twin systems, which is have these airbag boom, and how, with that system, you could basically use any kind of nozzle, a flat fan, a cone, anything, because the airbag was blowing a, 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 a film of air down behind the spray pattern and blowing that onto the crop and you did get very good coverage with the airbag in fairness so to be fair up until I got the new sprayer without the airbag I actually wasn't overly knowledgeable on different nozzles and what was available and when I did decide to go away from the airbag eventually I was amazed at how much nozzle technology had come on uh, over the years since I kind of stopped studying nozzles because I didn't need to study them with the airbag system. But now in fairness, the, the, the newer lower drift nozzles have gone a fair way in closing the gap from what fan nozzles used to be able to do, uh, but they haven't fully achieved it in, as good as the airbag. But good enough in reality, I don't notice any difference in the yields of my crops. Um, so I sure think the day, so isn't that the real things is the gross margin at the end of the day and, and as long as you're not polluting everyone sure that's what you're after and can i just ask you a question of why you decided that airbags weren't for you anymore was it because you couldn't get that size of sprayer or it was just uneconomical to, to keep going there was that? there was a couple a few reasons mainly economical but there was a few reasons uh, one one criteria I wanted to achieve is I wanted a sprayer that could do both 24 meters, 12 meters, 24 meters, and 36 meters for different size farms, different size customers, uh, different size applications. 24, 36 being an important criteria uh, because I, there is a number of people who I do spraying for and they spread their own fertilizer at 24 meters. So therefore, they wanted to spray it at, 20, at 24 as well. And with the have the airbag, you couldn't get that. You could get a 36 meter with airbag, but when it folded, it went straight to 18 meters. There was no 24 meter option. So that was one reason. But the second and most important reason was the figures, because with the TAMS grant, the grant was worked out as a figure multiplied by the liters inside in the tank. So therefore, the more liters of water that you, the larger grant you could claim. Uh, but it, um, so. For the same amount of money in a non-airbag, I could buy a bigger tank 
would stand a boom, but I could claim more grant, if you can understand how I'm, how I'm explaining myself. And I suppose the, with the end result with the nozzles, as you're saying, you can, you're ending up with a very similar result anyway. So well, all I, like I, I, I discussed this with Michael McCarthy one day, actually, and I think when I concluded, he asked how I was getting on, and I think we'll just see the airbag with a with, a, with any kind of nozzle, we call it a fan nozzle, was doing a 100% coverage job and, and reducing drift, 100% job. I would think that the largest nozzles would contribute maybe with one third of a benefit of that now versus fan. And, and I would think that the uh, auto boom height would be contributing at least another one third, maybe slightly more uh, of a benefit because you could run the boom lower to the crop and the spray hasn't had a chance to drift for it, it, it lands on the crop. So I would say that with low drift and out of boom height, you'll be gaining 65, 75% of the gain, but you wouldn't get the 100%. But you know, maybe that last 25% isn't, wasn't as necessary. You know, that might have been a bit over the top, maybe, you know, at best now the job it's doing is good in fairness. Okay. Well, in fairness, you have it well considered. Um, so that, 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 that's really the first part about it. Michael, can I just get just one quick question to you, Michael? Um, obviously, the um, having buffer zones and making sure drift is, is, is minimized. But there's obviously when uh, sprayers are being filled with the chemistry in the first place, there's a lot of empty containers and um, you know there's, there's disposal of those containers. Maybe you might just step us through the critical two or three kind of steps that a farmer should look at in this area. Okay, so there, there really is three areas that need to be watched here. And you mentioned, Michael, the filling of the sprayer and the disposal containers, but there's also the, the disposal of the sprayer washings themselves. So when you, when you wash a sprayer, um, most sprayers now have their own system of washing. They carry their own clean water tanks. Um, you are supposed to wash your washings on the crop you've just sprayed. Okay. Um, and that's very important. So people need to be aware of that. You can't just wash sprayer in a concrete yard and it flows off into the nearest water course. Secondly, where you are filling, um, if you have spillages and everybody has spillages, you need to be able to contain those spillages. Okay. And again, the whole idea is that we don't want pesticide getting into water bodies unnecessarily. You know, that, that, that's the goal here is to keep that down. So you need to be able to contain your spillages. And again, those spillages, if you can, spray it back out onto, onto um, the crop. When it comes to the, 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 the pesticide cans, um, they're to be triple rinsed and turned upside down. And there's a, a lot of um, registered recycling places now that will take the uh, the spray cans, like the Irish farm plastic crowds are one that come to mind there. And they, they, they do a lot of centres annually every year and they will take um, spray cans. Um, so it's important too that you keep the receipts for those, that if you ever got a cost compliance inspection, um, not only do you have to have your records and your inventory, but you have receipts for your disposal of, of empty cans. And look, once those couple of things are, are kept in check, generally it's all fine then after that. Okay, thanks thanks very much, Michael. Um, John, a very final question um, for the podcast um, today. I uh, just want to come back to you. And you mentioned 
uh, that you have some high-tech features on your sprayer. And the bit you said, uh, I think, that you particularly liked on your sprayer was the auto boom height um, uh, uh, functionality on it. You might describe just a little bit about how that works. And, um, you know, obviously it reduces uh, uh, spray drift and that on it. But are you, um, in terms of undulating fields, it, does it really work as well as you say it does? It does, in fairness to it. Now, um, there's sensors out in the boom uh, on both sides. And say when when, I, when the sprayer is turned on, it goes down to a preset height. You can change that preset height in the control panel as you're driving along, if you if you so wish. And uh, when you when the nozzles go off, the sprayer can go can the boom would rise up to a preset height, which you can change as well. Uh, so you know the, the boom is lifted when you're turning the head down. When you go down the field, then it's down at a height you like. If you're going over undulating areas, then it, it will um, move one side or the other side as necessary, and uh, that that helps uh, quite a lot. Um, it takes a lot of the stress out of spraying. You can really move along, and uh, you're not as concentrating on trying to control the boom. Um, my last prayer now I would have been controlled it by hand and there's no way I would have managed to run the boom as low um, while I was um, while um, I was spraying you know yeah look it sounds it sounds like a great feature because we, we often see I think farmers um, spraying in fields and, and, and booms could be closer to a meter uh, from the crop rather than, than a half a meter where they should be John thank you very much for your time uh, Michael as well and also Kieran thank you very much for your time no problem. problem. No problem. So that's it for the Tillage Edge, and my thanks to John, Michael, and Kieran for joining me. For more information on this topic, have a look at a number of videos on the Chagas Crops YouTube page. We're currently in the process of planning the Oak Park Open Day at the moment, and this will take place towards the end of June. Keep an eye on the Chagas website for more details in the coming weeks, and of course, I'll keep you up to date on this podcast in the coming weeks. So finally, that's it. But don't forget, if you like the podcast, then recommend it to a friend or colleague. And as always, rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with more Tillage news and advice.